Welcome to the Think Education podcast. Uh, my name is Christopher Hill, and today I am joined by a fellow international man. Well, no, that, that makes me sound better than I am. An international man of, uh, of mystery who has, has worked in many, many places with a, with a vast experience. Um, and uh, today I'm going to talk to uh, a new colleague of mine, Dr. Alfredo Bautista, uh, about his uh, international experience and you know what reflections he has on that, um, and indeed about some of his his research work uh, in the the area of early education and professional development. Um, but Alfredo is an associate professor in the Department of Early Childhood Education at the Education University of Hong Kong. Uh, Alfredo's research focused primarily on curriculum, pedagogy, and teacher professional development. But he also serves as the Associate Head of Department, looking after internationalization matters for the Early Childhood Education Department. Uh, this involves work on international partnerships, exchanges, knowledge transfer, dissemination, and the 417 other things that go along with anything international, um, which will be very familiar to, to many of us uh, listening to this. Alfredo is born and raised in Spain, and this is something I, I didn't know about him. He studied psychology with an emphasis on teaching and learning at the Autonomous University of Madrid and music uh, at the Royal Music Conservatory of Madrid. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about you know, the journey that we, we in this world make to where we, we are. After completing his PhD, Alfredo worked as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Victoria in British Columbia and Tufts University in Boston, the United States of America. Um, then, because he didn't have enough geography under his belt, he uh, moved to Singapore's National Institute of Education, where he served as a research scientist and assistant dean for professional learning within the Office of Education Research. During that period in Singapore, he ran a number of research and development projects as either principal or co-principal investigator, working closely with the Ministry of Education, the Singapore Teacher Academy for the Arts, and the National Institute of Early Childhood. And then took the, which is not, not unique, um, decision to move to another country, whatever it was, four hours before COVID hit or something, something, <laughs> something like that. Um, and Alfredo is now based, as I said, in, in Hong Kong. Um, main research focus, um, and I find this very, very interesting. It, yes, it's on curriculum, pedagogy and teacher learning. But his particular um, sort of central approach to research is that professional development initiatives, in order to be transformative and effective, they need to respond to the needs, motivations, and interests of the teachers. So, you know, very much that contextual reality, right? Which I suppose you are well suited to, to discuss, given that you've worked in many, many contexts uh, around the world. So, Alfredo, um, it's a great pleasure to have you on. Um, thank you very much for, for joining and, and welcome to the, the podcast. Um, can I just maybe ask then, uh, just to sort of get the ball rolling, what, do you, what is it you do now in, in Hong Kong? Because obviously, given the bio of your, your work up to Hong Kong, um, uh, what sort of precipitated the move and what is it you're, you're working on currently in, in Hong Kong at the university? Well, thank you so much, Chris, uh, for inviting me to your podcast. It's such a pleasure to, to, to have this chat with you today. Um, a pleasure to be, to be here. Um, so to answer your question, I guess, um, I suppose once we start our careers um, enjoying in the international experience and, and I guess like exploring different parts of the world and how things in education work in different parts of the world. So in the end, we become a little bit curious about um, 
spending part of our lives in in different locations, right? So as as you mentioned, thanks for the wonderful introduction, by the way. Um, as you mentioned, I spent a few years working in Singapore, doing quite a bit of work with the different the different stakeholders there in Singapore. So at some point of 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 my career, I kind of felt that it was time to, for different reasons, time to move on and explore, and continue in in another in another place. Uh, for both personal and professional reasons, so I just decided to uh, to move here to Hong Kong um, and to continue doing research, particularly in early childhood education, with a you know a much um, a specific focus on ECE, which is what I do now. So I was interested in the work that my department was doing. I was interested to collaborate with some of the colleagues here in my department. It's a very specialized department in ECE, a very large department. So this is these are some of the reasons why I decided to come here. Um, yeah, uh, don't know if I'm answering your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for for anybody, um, I guess, familiar with with Spain or indeed you know Spanish popular culture, we have the uh, you know, Espanoles por el mundo, right? We have this, the, there's this notion in Spain of, uh, I say we as if I'm associated, I, I grew up there, but it's not, a, not as if I can claim anything. But, you know, I, I wonder if there's, do you think there's a certain type of person well-suited to, to the internationalization? Because when we talk about international education or international higher education, there are, of course, a lot of our colleagues who are heavily involved in that, but are based often in their own country of origin. And, and they, they work you know, at, at a distance and obviously they travel quite extensively, um, but they, you know, they live at home and they, they work at home. And then there are the other group of us who do almost everything we can to leave the place we come from and, and keep moving, moving around. You think, you think it's something, uh, is, it, is it a calling? Is it something specific or, you know, uh, because I'm, I'm interested in, in in both your your motivations, but also your experience working abroad, because you know you've been you've been away from Spain and your home collectively, professionally for most of your professional life, right? If you include the the, the studies, so do you get the bug early and then just keep moving, or it was something you had when you were young, or what? What, uh, what do you think? I guess it's I guess it's like I guess it's, it was like a collection of reasons, right? Like I mentioned in the beginning, right? So I guess. Um, for me, at least, it was like, uh, so it's part of my personality. Number one is like, I'm a really curious person. I, I, I go work in a place, I stay for a few years, I do the best I can, I put all my efforts here, and my personality is I'm a very curious kind of person, and I invest a lot of my energy and my efforts in something, and then at some point, I kind of feel it's time to, to move on and explore. Uh, you know, different territories of, uh, of either the research that I am doing or the connections that I want to make. Um, I, I see, I observe the same thing that you mentioned, right? So sometimes in institutions I ha have encountered like colleagues focusing on internationalization matters who, who don't necessarily have a lot of international experience, right? So for me, I guess, uh, from my studies, right? Even including the, the years where I was doing my, my doctoral degree, I, I, I was actually very lucky because even during my PhD, I had the luxury, I would say, that I could, I, start, I spent some of my PhD in Argentina, also in the UK, some months, and then also in, in the US. So it's like, I, from even my studies, I, I realized how beneficial and enriching it is 
to be able to really work in different places, especially, I mean, in, being in education, as, as you mentioned earlier, my area of work is teacher development, teacher professional development, teacher education. So how different the realities of different countries are and, and, and how much we as educators can do to support teachers, right? So, um, um, yeah, so I guess in, in my case, I, I am enjoying this uh, experience of being able to move. Um, it's not that I want to keep doing it all the time necessarily, right? So, but I, I have enjoyed, I think I have been very lucky to be able to do that. Of course, it's in the end, you have to um, sacrifice parts of, of your life, right? So be away from part of your family, etc. But in the end, of course, um, um, there are many opportunities to come visit family and everything, right? But it's like, it's, it's a really enriching way of developing our careers. I suppose that you have experienced the same as well. I have, yeah. Um, and it's, I think it becomes a, like anything like humans we just get conditioned to things that we we live right and and you know something that seems strange once you've done it once or twice it it sort of becomes a pattern and and actually um i think for those of us in this sort of world the movement is normal right the um, you know the the new experiences are not they're not necessarily seen as as scary or daunting although they they sometimes are scary and daunting and particularly when you've got you know, accountability and, and positions and people relying on you and, you know, et cetera. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I like the point you made, you know, it's about being curious about, you know, accepting the challenges and, and moving, moving to learn from them. Um, can I ask, did you, when you made the move to Singapore, that was from Spain or that was from um, uh, the States? Uh, that was from the States. Um, so I, I studied in Spain, um, then I did my first postdoc was in Canada. I spent one and a half years in Canada. Then I moved to the States for my second postdocs, postdoc. I was there for around like, a bit less than three years, and then I moved to Singapore. Um, and after Singapore, I came to Hong Kong. But, okay, that's great. What I'm wondering is, did you have a plan? Did you have a post-Singapore plan? Or is it just sort of as opportunities arise, you're open to them and you, you explore what, what is interesting? Right, right. Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess, you know, when, when, when I was doing, just to tell you also my, like I said, there are also many personal reasons, right? So when I finished my PhD, I, was, I did my PhD in Madrid in Spain. And then the year when I finished, I finished in 2000, I graduated in 2009, precisely at the moment of the big crisis that there were very few positions, very few openings everywhere, really. So um, I guess the chances I, I had in Spain to get a good position were very limited. And because basically there were no openings and, and I, I, had a, I was actually very lucky because that year I, I spent a few months in in the in, in, in the US and I had a amazing had an amazing mentor there and supervisor in those months. And this person kind of opened my eyes like in terms of look, you can look for opportunities outside of Spain. You don't have to necessarily graduate and work in Spain. And I was like, Yeah, well that's right. Hmm. <laughs> I never even thought of this. I, I, I saw the opportunity of um, just only studying for a few months here and there, but I didn't even think of Oh, I actually can apply for jobs internationally. So this this person that I absolutely adore and admire very much, uh, she mentioned, well, I can help you. I can, I mean, she was incredibly helpful. She told me I can share my application materials with you. You can apply for jobs in 
other countries in Europe or you can apply for jobs in uh, in America or anything. I was like, sure, why not? So that was an am amazing learning process for me in terms of applying for jobs in contexts that are absolutely different compared to how people look for a job in Spain, right? So I applied for many job jobs at the moment. The market was very bad because, uh, but I was actually very lucky that in the end I got an offer as a postdoctoral fellow in Canada. And then to be honest with you, one thing led to another thing. And in my life, I, to be honest, I really didn't have any particular plan. I never in my life thought I would end up working in Asia. Never, absolutely never in my life. But you know, once we, you start sort of um, exploring uh, and sort of uh, working internationally, in the end, the world is small. Yeah. And you know, this, I, at some point I, I, I I completed my my first postdoc. I was looking for another um, for another job because the first project ended. So I was like, oh, I need to apply for another job. So in the end, we I suppose the same for you. you we apply for jobs anywhere yeah. as long as the opportunity sounds interesting and productive and it doesn't matter if it is in another continent or if it is in <laughs> as long as the opportunity sounds productive and and it makes sense for our careers, right? So yep. the move to Singapore was from the US. I was applying at some point quite aggressively also for positions. And I, of course, I was working in a particular area and that I didn't really know much about Singapore. But I once I saw this advertisement, I learned, started to learn about Singapore and how amazing work that they are doing in the field of teacher education and professional development and I became very interested in Singapore and in the model that they are using to train teachers and I was like oh I must go there because that is going to make such a different in, difference in my career and I want to really be there to see what they do and to be honest I was I'm very happy that I spent all those years in Singapore because the experience was amazing and I'm grateful that I worked there for the, all of those years and yeah, so but to answer your question, did I have any plan? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, as I then one thing led to another. Then when I was in Singapore, I started to develop work in early childhood education, and I found out that there was this Department of Early Childhood Education in Hong Kong, which is where I work today. And then I started to be interested. Oh, I would like to work there. So then one thing led to another thing, and then in the end, we uh, ended up ex exploring. Um, you know, uh, institutions or context that we didn't even think of. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's it's a very even though the the places and the context is different. It's, it's very similar to to my my experience that um, I left. I was a very 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 junior um, member of an academic department in the UK, and we had a the academic research excellence uh, was going on, and it was very difficult to get permanent positions. And I took the opportunity to move within the university to um, the Malaysia campus to do something completely different and sort of set up the graduate school. And from that, it sort of rolled into, and it rolled into, and it rolled into. And I often get asked by students now, well, well, how did you design this? And how did you, you know, like, I was making it up as I went along. It's, um, I think I agree with you. It's, it's partly, it's being open to opportunities. And obviously within the international sphere, they are, there are many, um, uh, and so um, uh, uh, that's that's obviously very very helpful. But um, when I was apply when I left Malaysia, and I was applying for jobs. I'm pretty sure if you looked at the sort of the traditional view of the Western map, I was applying everywhere from left to right. And as you said, it was a, as an interesting job came up. You're almost not too worried about where it is. You'll you'll make it work because you know if the work's interesting and you know you think you can learn from it, 
it's just a chance to be in another country right. and learn something something different. So um, along those lines, though, I'm, I'm wondering if you can, and I appreciate this is going to be a pretty big question, but if you can reflect on um, how your work in these different countries has maybe changed your your perspective or, or you know, what you've maybe you've, you've learned from it. And I, I apologize again, it's a stupidly big question, right? Um, but, you know, maybe if you have any reflections on, on that. Yeah, no, it's not, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, I mean, working in all these different places definitely has changed a lot of my own, uh, as a person from Spain, right, who I was educated in Spain, in, you know, public schools, a public university and you know we i was educated with certain values with certain <laughs> perspective philosophies of education the values and the, the the norms in spain and then going through all these different experiences definitely um especially as a western person then moving and working in asia there is a a big radical um uh, let's say a, shift and also a personal learning um, which is not automatic so let me see if I can answer the, your question a little bit better right so um, of course um, after going to Spain going to America there are differences definitely yes uh, in Canada US yes definitely big differences compared to how education works in a country like Spain or in Europe well, of course, within Europe also there are massive differences across countries, right? But um, that was not so big, massive, right? But especially once I started working in Singapore and interacting with, you know, uh, teachers, students, families, children there, um, it really made me realize that um, Western uh, scholars in education have a very um, dominant <laughs> Um, how can I put it, a really dominant view of what education should be like. Yeah. And then we try to go everywhere and try to impose our ideas and our models. And then you come to Asia and then you see that in Asia, uh, policies also kind of also almost copy Western ideals and, 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 and notions. And then you realize that that is actually a a big mistake that they are actually copying those pretty much copying those ideas in policy frameworks let's say because the values of the society the societies here are so different that then this creates very different contradictions um let me see if i can explain this a little bit better right so um in the year that i was in singapore i just to give an example right uh, the example that was probably the most important one for me in the year i was in singapore i was I spent like five, more than five years doing research in kindergartens, right? And I was doing a lot of observation work and then analyzing the differences between, oh, the curriculum framework says this, 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 this. However, teachers in practice do something very, very, very different. And then pretty much the conclusion sections of all of my, many of my articles there were like, oh, teachers need more training. Mm. Teachers are not prepared enough, teachers need to improve, teachers need to learn more. And then when I moved to Hong Kong, that was a kind of like big realization for me, uh, especially when I started teaching in my classroom and interacting with students. And and then I realized, I think I'm wrong. Hmm. <laughs> teachers really don't need it. Teachers to teach, well, I mean, teachers don't need what I am saying that they need. It's, it's simply that teachers are really enacting 
the values and the and the and the principles and the and the they are teaching according to how society expects them to teach. So it's not a matter of they just need more training from me, who I'm a Western person who comes here and tell them what to do from the Western perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, teachers are really the teachers know very well what they are doing. They are doing what society expects them to do, what parents want them to do, especially in a, in a sector that is like in in Hong Kong is to a large extent in private hands, right? So what I'm trying to say is, um, um, I guess for me, the learning is um, education. Education really depends very much on the values of a society and societies are massively different. Um, in the world, I guess the world has been adopting a lot of these sort of um, big notions of education that are pretty much uh, internationally accepted and my learning is uh, we cannot just accept things uh, so widely because Western scholars say that this is the way to do things because in other parts of the world, there are just different values, different priorities. And this is not necessarily a thing or right or wrong, right? So, um, you know, in Europe or in America, parents may send their children to kindergartens to just play and spend six hours of their day just playing with other children and that is a, this is absolutely fine however here parents send children to their kindergartens three hours and they may not necessarily them to play want them to play they they really do have other expectations from mm. from kindergarten so they they want to send children to kindergartens to learn academic related um, content and to develop discipline and being polite and behave and respect rules is that is that bad? No, <laughs> in my opinion, not necessarily. Uh, who am I to say no? They should really, really play all the time. <laughs> it's like I come here, you know, with my Western mindset, and that this that doesn't mean I, I just can't come here and impose that view because this is not necessarily what the society here wants. So, um, anyway, so in, to answer the question that you asked me, I guess. What I have learned over all these years is like I have to sometimes suspend my um, view on many aspects because I have is my view is my the one I have developed in, based on my experience. But I need to understand the reality here. The, as you mentioned before, the context, uh, the values of a society, and it takes years to understand these things. Mm -hmm. And now I have been over 10 years in Asia, right? So I'm starting to understand more and more certain things. It definitely takes time, uh, but at the same time, respect that the context and the, and the priorities and the needs, right? And sometimes I may disagree with how things work, but look, I'm just not playing at home. I'm playing outside, right? Yeah. So I need to, I'm, super, I'm absolutely mm -hmm. sure you, you have the same situations in the institution where you work, right? So it's like, uh, and I am nobody to even question or criticize. I may give my perspective, but uh, from the point of view of an outsider, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I like you, I've, I've lived through this um, sort of philosophical, um, you know, spiritual, emotional, moral journey where everything you think you were, everything you believed and everything you were taught and everything that was established and everything that you, you know, we've researched and we've, you know, we've, we fundamentally understand that this is the way things are. And, but we work in education, we don't work in indoctrination. And so we should be able to learn and, and understand as best we can, you know, um, 
And it's, it's an interesting line to, to walk, I think, um, because we, we, we believe things to be the right way, A, because we've been taught, and, but often also because yep. we, we've practiced it. You know, it's, it's not a case of, oh, well, we read this in a book. This may, may be the entire foundation of our educational learning for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years, right? And so to then come up and say, hang on, you're doing it, you're doing it wrong becomes, oh, you're doing it differently becomes, huh, now how can I change what, what I do? And I think that's, it's, it's, um, you, you need to serve time in a place. I, I think, you know, one of the, di- the difficulties yeah. with internationalization is the sort of fly in, fly out model, which is then predicated on, I'm bringing you my way of doing things. And, and you want my way of doing things yeah. because you bought or you've paid for. And so here you go. And then I leave. And, and that's sort of the end of, end of that. And it's really understanding as best we can, how things work on the ground such that we can, as you say, put things through a, a different lens to A, learn ourselves, but also be more effective in how we can help. Um, and I think that that's yeah. something that those of us that, you know, as you're talking about the beginning, those of us that in internationalization that move and move and move, we sort of just collect these anecdotes and we collect these lived experiences and we almost end up not knowing anything. As in, you know, in the sense that there are so many different ways of doing it, there's no, there's no one certainty anymore. You know, which you possibly have yep. when you're at home and you're within a sort of a more homogenous, you know, procedural, yep. you know, governance. You move abroad and you're like, hey, my way's not the right way. I'm not convinced that their way's the right way, but at least I'm convinced that there are other ways that this can, can, be, can be done. And I think we, we get comfortable with uncertainty, maybe. Um, and, and I guess yeah. that's... Correct. Just a couple of things that come to mind, right? So I guess, I mean... That is absolutely right. Also, uh, you know, we are used to consuming academic literature that is ma- primarily published and in, in English, in, in com- research coming from developed countries. Uh, most of the research that we read and cite and use in our work comes from pretty much all, most of the time with, from Western countries. So we are used to that, you know, I mean, at least in the, in the fields that I do research consuming um, uh, knowledge that comes from the West. So, and also, you know, the, the influence of all of these international organizations talking about best practices and, yeah, yeah. and, and widely accepted policy there that to, to have high quality education, da, 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 da. But then, you know, it's like once you really start working in other places and, and, and really understanding these places well, you really realize this is not the same thing is like and, and those ideas of you know this sort of supposedly high quality knowledge or best practices that um, um, Western scholars or organizations are selling are really not sometimes quite compatible with with the other realities right just to yeah. give you another example of just a just a case I'm now finishing a, a writing a draft with two of my doctoral students that we are talking about. Uh, I know some of your um, followers may be interested because I've been here listening to some of your podcasts and I know that you have a lot of uh, students and collaborators who do um, research and work in leadership, in school administration, etc. Right. So what I'm going to say probably would be interesting to them. Right. So I've been working on a paper related to professional learning communities. Right. Uh, PLCs, right? So in the West, um, 
there's this idea of PLCs are a group of teachers who start just collaborating and working together and they have these interests and they, and they start working on projects and improving their practice together. It's a very much of a bottom-up approach. Yep. This should not be guided by anybody and teachers will have their own goals and establish their own uh, and improve their practice. And it's like this whole idea of this must be self-motivated and self-guided and etc. right? So we are now finishing this draft with some of my students analyzing how PLCs work in preschools in China. Okay. There is quite a lot of research showing that it's actually quite effective, but it doesn't work like that at all. It's completely a top-down, mm. <laughs> um, it's a top-down mechanism. Teachers are obligated to engage in PLCs. They have to do it, it's heavily regulated. So uh, led by the leaders of the school, teachers have KPIs that they have to achieve every year. So it's a completely different way of doing it. So, you know, and what we are doing in this article is analyzing how well aligned this is actually with the values of the society is in countries like China. And is, is that wrong? And no, I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? So the whole society works like that in a way, right? So it's, it's perfectly aligned with their own values. Um, is, it, is it guided by teachers? No, it's completely, it's completely guided by, by the leaders. Um, but again, um, I think it's interesting to document all these cases and to, and to really discuss them because it's also enriching for Western readers Absolutely. who are used to consuming most of the literature coming from the West. So it's like, look, there are other ways to do it we should probably rethink some of these frameworks. We cannot assume that um, everything is the same way everywhere because it is not. And I think in a way we are like, you and I are lucky and some people like us are lucky because we have experienced that, um, but many people have not. And it is actually, you know, in my opinion, right? So interesting to give visibility to this kind of work in international journals as well. Um, I served recently as, as editor-in-chief for a journal, and one of the things we've been saying in my journal is really we need to identify good quality research coming from countries, especially in the global south, and, you know, in, in developing countries. The, the, the key thing is to identify, you know, good research coming from these places, right? So, which sometimes is a little bit more challenging, obviously, right? But it's like, it is very important, in my opinion, to, to really give visibility to this work and enrich also the understanding of researchers in other parts of the world because in a way i think i'm privileged because i have been experienced this yeah. and observing this yeah. uh, in first person right same as you right so i mean i enjoy it definitely and i think it's very enriching because also it's humbling as well right so you cannot i i i don't think i can always think that i i have the truth and i have the right view on things and everything and sometimes I, things happen in a way that we don't understand because we don't know the culture enough yeah, yeah and yeah. in a way i guess it's a it's of understanding and trying to understand and put yourself in the shoes of others and you know try to yeah try to in a way um uh, try to understand others yeah no absolutely i mean and i think this this notion of representation is is critical um uh, so I work in, in Dubai and the UAE and, and within, therefore, the Gulf uh, context or indeed MENA, depending on you know, how, you, how you, you view us. Um, and we are in a, a region of the world where the research culture is emerging. Right? It's not established, but you know, there's, 
there's focus on it. There's support from governments. There's you know there's sort of you know uh, uh, a system in place now to to increase and support it. But the actual volume of research that comes out of our area is very limited compared with say the amount of research being undertaken, and that creates, as you said, that perception of well then there's no real research coming from there. You know people are not really doing research because if it's not published in Western fields, well then you're not really doing anything. Yep. It's like well no that's not true. They just haven't got through the gatekeepers. Um, and they haven't necessarily yes. because they can't see, you know, that there's other research being published in their area or from their particular, and, you know, and then when you get sort of very local or national journals setting up, you know, the, the established West thinks, well, they're not, you know, they're, they're a new journal and they're not really as established as us, so it's not real research, you know, quote unquote. And I think often within, within I mean, academic research is a funny business anyway. It's, it's, there's a lot of flaws yeah. in, in the way we have approached this, but it can be an echo chamber. It can be, you know, you, you constantly hear the same thing. And that, that naturally reinforces the sense of what is best practice. Um, but I, I really like that yep. point you made at the end. You know, if we can go into a room not assuming that we are right, and let, let that be yep. the starting point, right? you, know, you know, not that we've got rid of our convictions and not that we've thrown away our training or our capabilities or, you know, our ability to problem solve or, you know, but just to start the process of I'm not right. I'm not necessarily right, and then let's have a conversation and, and see what. And obviously, in some circumstances, we may turn out to be right in this context. But as yeah. you and I know, in most of them, probably not. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, especially when we go to schools, right? So they ha this happens to me when I have the opportunities to visit schools and to see, um, you know, how in my case, preschool, right, kindergarten, so how teachers really interact with children and what is happening and everything. So, so I guess um, um, it is really a process of understanding, right? So in a place like Hong Kong, and just to share a little bit of what I, I do here now, right? So I, as you mentioned earlier, I run like different projects related to different areas of teacher learning, helping, trying to help teachers improve in specific areas to, to, to improve their pedagogies, etc. So, um, so when I go to, in a place like Hong Kong, there's huge variability of practices, right? So you find from the most traditional kindergartens as a very academically driven, really focusing on, you know, training children in academic skills, literacy, maths, etc. You find from that, like, a lot of discipline, rules, etc from that sort of end of the spectrum you and then but you, then you also have kindergartens that are absolutely absolutely westernized mm. uh, a lot of freedom children playing all the time so you find a wide wide variety i would say most of the kindergarten tend to be more academically orientated but also you find the other end right so when you find this that variability i guess it's not about right or wrong it's simply about uh, different priorities and different uh, preferences also in a country in a sorry not like in a place like Hong Kong right in a, in a society like Hong Kong I guess because parents can really decide where they want to take their children if they want to take them to a more traditional place to a more play-based kindergarten so who is right or who is wrong like no it's, it really depends on on priorities what kind of what kind of development do you want for your child um, yeah yeah no um, absolutely every Everything has advantages and disadvantages, right? So if you take your child to a, 
Um, and I know that many of my colleagues disagree when I say this, because supposedly the official version is that all the kindergartens should be very play-based and all kindergartens should be very offering a lot of freedom and etc. This is supposedly what the policies, even written policies here say, but the reality is very different. The reality is kindergartens tend to be more academically orientated because this is what the society wants. But what I always say with colleagues and in conversations at, in uni and everything is like, it's really, I mean, the, the academic model also have a lot of positive outcomes in the end. It depends on the kind of child you want to have. Yeah, yes. uh, is it necessarily bad or is it wrong? It's like, uh, it depends on what you want, right? So. Recently, now that we had COVID, I was always using the COVID example when I was chatting with friends and colleagues, right? So, you know, um, um, with all the pandemic and everything in a place like Hong Kong, so we had all the rules of masks and social distancing and everything for many, many years. And people here have been respecting this. Even now, now masks are not compulsory, but you see a lot of people still using them. So people here are really obedient. <laughs> People follow rules, people are very respectful, very mindful of the collective benefit, etc. Which I think is very good. <laughs> uh, in a place like Spain, right, so with all of the regulations, um, and this, this already feels like long ago, but this was really like two or three years back, you know, nobody wanted to use masks, nobody was respecting the rules, nobody was really uh, thinking of the collective uh, benefit or anything. It's just like, oh, I just want to go out and I just want to go for a walk or I just want to go for parties, right? So, uh, you know, that's the personality of people there. We are we are not really good at following rules. We are just more individualistic. We want to do whatever we want and we don't want anybody imposing us on anything, right? So, uh, well, I mean, here you have very different models of a society, right? So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Here people follow rules much better because this is what children do from, so from the moment when they are very little, right? So is it bad? No, it's great. I mean, in certain situations, it can be very good. It depends on the model of, that's my view, right? So it depends on the model of society that you want to have. Uh, you emphasize in schools and in kindergartens and in higher education, you will emphasize on different aspects. It depends on, I'm not, I'm just understanding, right? So I'm, it's not that I like one model or the other more or less, right? So it's simply like, it really depends on, on what you want um, if I have to decide on where do I want to live maybe I may have my preferences right but everything has advantages and disadvantages that's what I'm trying to say in terms of how we educate our students and you know next generations of, of people yeah I mean I think that's it's really interesting and I, I think it's not it's it's a subtlety that is not really I guess that maybe talked about but for example the as you say, if if there are, we know there's no one political system that works for everybody, right? There's why should there be one educational yeah. system that works for everybody? If the societal structure is is built in a particular way, that in itself instills values. You yourself said the same thing. You know, you're you're born and raised in Spain. That puts you in a certain philosophy, a certain structure, a certain religion, a certain political, a certain economic, a certain cultural. And why would that necessarily yeah. work? transplanted uh, across and obviously to assume that it does is just another form of colonization i mean that's that's not and we as a sector we've clearly tried that right so but it's not it's not enormously effective one of the things i found interesting working in malaysia which is a uh, i think aligns with some of the things you're saying there was a very strong um pull um 
particularly when, when Malaysia sort of opened up uh, the transnational education sector and sort of was, was actively encouraging foreign, mostly British, some Australian, um, French, you know, um, to set up campuses. And there was a very real need for that because it was about degree development, it was about access for certain parts of the ethnic population. But it was based on a perception of quality. So it was a case of, oh, you know, British degrees or Australian degrees are, are highly ranked and therefore by having that degree in our country, you know, the, the line goes up. And, and that makes sense, except a lot of the values or the freedoms or even the topics that were discussed, you know, the very, the very nature of what it was to be a British university is often contradictory to not just the social norms, but in some cases, the rules of another country. You know, and so you, know, you couldn't have a student union, for example, because unions you know, were not allowed in Malaysia, so you had a student association. Well, that's, that's a relatively easy thing to change, but you, know, you couldn't call a module a certain thing, and you, you couldn't have a certain student group, and you couldn't, you, know, um, you couldn't exist if you were a certain type of student. You know, so there were, you know, and it's kind of that interesting dichotomy, which is even, as you said, the global south or developing countries are still stuck in the game of saying, well, we want the best practice and we want the Western model. No, you don't. You, you might want that, but yep. you don't need it. What you need is a contextually grassroots or top-down, whatever the approach is, that suits your needs. And hey, take what you can from the Western models, right? Steal the bits that work, yes. but then make your own, right? Um, yeah, so I think, I think that's a, it's an excellent point um, that, you, that, that you've made and that we've, we've you know, yeah. plus other people have lived, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in some of the work I've been recently writing with uh, in, with some colleagues and in different areas, we have been using the term globalization, yeah, yeah. like as a combination of global and local, right? So, and that's what I one of the one of the things that I'm interested in, like how we glo globalize uh, policies <laughs> yeah. and how I think I think I think you know uh, different societies must have their own identity. This is what is important to us. On one hand, of course, it's always good to see what others are doing. Of course, this is wonderful, and I think this everybody should do this in both directions. Not only, um, you know, countries, developing countries should look at the West. Also, the West should look at at what happens in other places because it's like normally Western scholars don't really care about how things work in other in other parts of the world, which I think is a mistake. Yeah. Because if you want to understand education, you shouldn't only understand education in your own system, right? So in your own. Um, I, just to share another interesting thing, I, I just quickly, right? So when I, I remember when I was working in Singapore, Singapore attracts a lot of international attention. So when I was in Singapore, I would get so many invitations, especially in Spain, obviously, because I'm from Spain to come and talk in whatever university about education in um, Singapore. How can we copy the Singapore? How can we adopt the Singapore model? Mm -hmm. And how can we do things the way they do things in Singapore? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's like, you are in a, in a place like, in, in, you know, it's, it really makes no sense <laughs> to, try to, to try to copy and, you know, or imitate certain, certain ways of doing certain things because it's just the whole thing is just different, right? So it's like, yeah. of course, it's not only because education is good, because schools are good. Yes, it is true. I mean, they train teachers incredibly well. The schools are really well equipped and everything, but the whole thing is is different, right? So, yeah. in Singapore, parents take education incredibly seriously. All the children are very well supported. Education is a huge thing, so it's very important that your children do good at school. 
because that is really connected. I mean, education is a is a is a big deal, and yeah. in other places like Spain, it is not. I mean, pa- families don't take education so seriously. Maybe you take education seriously when your child comes back <laughs> home from school with the with the grades of the year, and yeah, the yeah. parents get scared. Oh my god, <laughs> you too. So then everything's forgotten after the two or three days. You know, so uh, what I'm trying to say is, uh, it's good to be, it's very, it's excellent to be informed of policies and how things work in other countries and in other systems and, and understand, try to understand why things work. Then the whole thing of policy borrowing and, and adopting policies or how things, uh, that is, that is in my view, very naive, right? So I think the whole thing of, that's why I like this term of global globalization. It's good to to clarify your own identity, and I know that you have many podcasts in which some of your guests have been talking about this, about contextualizing policies and ways of training teachers, etc. That is very important. Is it important also to look at other places and see what other other places are doing? Absolutely, yes. I must say this because I I know how enriching it has been for me uh, to to. See try to understand how education and in my case teacher education works in different parts of the world definitely is very important but in the end you have to have your own identity of course learn from others and try to improve as much as possible your own models and your own ways of doing things but this idea of let's just copy best practice from western countries i think is absolutely naive and very dangerous sometimes to to and it really has created in many contexts including the place where I am now, a lot of contradictions and a lot of misunderstandings. And I think uh, we, at least for me, I really advocate for this idea of globalization, how important that is. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm com- I completely agree with you. And I think that's a, that's a really nice way to sort of, you know, close the conversation we've just been, we've just been having. Um, I wonder if I could ask you one, one final question. This is sort of more of a personal reflection. So given your, your you know, significant international experience and mobility, um, what advice would you give to a, a junior colleague who's, you know, in the same way that your mentor, you know, advised you? I mean, how would you, how would you advise somebody in, in the same sort of position now? Um, you mean a person in academia, a more junior colleague yeah, in yeah. academia, I assume, yeah, yeah. right? Thinking about internationalization, et cetera, movement. I mean, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I guess, you know, being able to to do what we have done in terms of like developing our careers in different settings and move from one place to place, I I, I understand that this is difficult, right? So ne- not everybody is in a personal situation where you can do this, right? So, uh, you know, family reasons, etc. So it's not easy to do this. Um, because of you know also financial issues, can you afford that? Sure, can, you, sure. can you find an institution who welcome you and etc. Right. So, however, I think as much as possible, I think it is always is so it's so beneficial to 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 get exposure to international settings. It's so so important, I think, for especially for educators, right? So because um, because it's going to change you and it's going to enrich so much how we see things and how sensitive I guess you can be to mm-hmm. to, to different ways of understanding etc so I definitely would advise to try to do this I say this to my I, I have a number of doctoral students today and I, I just tell them 
of course, I mean, being selfish, I would like you to work with me for so for many years and don't move, don't go anywhere. But it's like just thinking of you and of your own development because it has been so important for me. What I tell them, as soon as you graduate, I would love that you can find a postdoc very far from here and you just live for one, two, three years, learn from other people and then come back or do whatever is pertinent for you at this point. So it, so what I'm trying to say, it, would I advise other junior colleagues to do this? Of course, as much as possible, yes. Not necessarily move for for 10, 12 years like, like me already or probably more for you, but maybe for short period of times, if, the, if, if it is possible to go to different institutions, work with other scholars in the field, because it is always going to enrich very much your your perspectives, right? Something I always say is that, and I suppose it's the same for you, in every country where I have worked and lived, it really, my brain registers this information as a kind of as a different life. Yeah. So my life in Canada is like a part of my brain that I remember things and then my life in US is like, so I think I'm so lucky because I had so many lives already, yeah. <laughs> even though, even, you know, because it, I, I really recall these experiences as my life in this place, uh, kind of like as a complete whole kind of thing. So in a way, I think I am privileged in that sense of experiencing internationalization. And then I guess it um, it really allows us to grow as, 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 as scholars and also as a person, right? So I think it's very beneficial. As much as possible, I would definitely encourage more junior colleagues to try to find opportunities for this. Sometimes you can apply for grants or uh, meet other colleagues through your supervisors who can get you in touch with others who can welcome you in their institution for, you know, for even if it is for a short period of time, but that is always going to be um, a really good investment of your time for your development. Definitely, yes. Excellent. That's that's great. A donde fueras, haz lo que vieras, ¿no? So where you go, do what you see. Yeah, go and learn and, and talk to other people. Exactly. Fantastic. Well, Alfredo, thank you. Thank you so much um, for sharing your journey experiences and indeed your, your reflection. I'm, I'm going to be massively valuable to, to colleagues um, in our world, you know, looking to join our world and, and certainly junior colleagues looking to, to develop their career. So thank you very much. Uh, it's been a, a great pleasure and thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Chris.